Hi, and welcome to Facts and Blog and Podcast. I'll follow you with that mic, and if I call you Johnny, don't take it personally. It's just, I feel like I'm on the Johnny Carson show. That's right. Doc as, needs to be sitting right here. you should. <sighs> Back in the zone. Back in the zone. Focused. All right. <laughs> what time is it? That's what I'm saying. The passage of time in this building is completely different. I don't even know where I am anymore. <laughs> what day? What day? What day? Week where is? am I? Hi, and welcome to episode 33 of the Facts and Blogging Podcast. We have an excellent show lined up for you today. Our co-founder, Bob Faxon, is here to share the Faxon story. How did the brand begin? Uh, not just for Faxon Firearms, but also Faxon Machining back in 1978 to grow from what it started from to what it is today. So Bob is going to be giving us our first full segment of uh, the new studio setup here in our new Westchester facility. So we're very excited about that. Also, Q&A is back on the show this week. Uh, we are going to talk to Jay Wilson, our product director, about how we test our barrels and kind of what the quality uh, procedure is like each step of the way. So you'll definitely want to check that out. And today on Jay's World of Eats, we are going to be giving away a CMR 204 from our friends at Crimson Trace. Uh, so a packed show, lots of stuff to get to. But before we get even that far, don't forget we announced this week the Hog Harvester giveaway is live now. So you could go to faxandfirearms.com and uh, enter to win a custom 300 blackout rifle uh, done by our friends at uh, One Off Coating. Uh, stuff from Caldwell, Crimson Trace, Lockdown, Hornady Ammo, um, Rocky Boots. You get a free pair of Rocky Boots, uh, a ton more. Uh, so make sure you check out FactsAndFirearms.com. And we'll also be throwing up some graphics throughout the show uh, to remind you of that giveaway as well. So without any further ado, let's move on to our interview with Bob Faxon on the Faxon story. So Bob, thank you uh, for, for joining us today. Uh, this is a ceremonial thing. This is the it first is. podcast in the new space. Very excited. Uh, super excited about that. I feel that. privileged. Oh, privileged well, and honored. Well, there you go. I'm glad you're here. And uh, t this is kind of doing a couple of things for us. One is we, we want to be able to tell the story, you know, about the brand and the brand beginnings. But also this is kind of the way that we're wrapping up all the move segments we've been doing for the last couple of months and very nice showing yes, the progress. So throughout the show today, we'll be showing some before and after footage uh, of our new space here in, in Westchester. But um you know, we, we bring this up every once in a while just so people can kind of get a better understanding. But, you know, facts and machining is really what started, you know, everything for the business and, and started uh, uh, and birthed firearms. W would you mind just, you know, giving our audience a, a little bit of insight on how facts and machining came to be and, and, Not and how that birthed? Yeah, it, it is good to talk about these things. And I think even throughout the move and some of the construction and demolition and moving of the equipment, there's been times and spots and moments where you're with one or two of the people that have been here from closer to the beginning. Yeah. And I, I, it's very funny because I do tend to get a little bit nostalgic once in a while, especially in those moments, right? So when you're with someone who has been here for a long time, I think Jay is one that probably I could bring to mind right now. But We've had these conversations of the early days mm -hmm. in the firearms relative to the firearms business. Yeah. And uh, it, it's fun to reminisce once in a while. I mean, most of the time you have your head down, move the ball, go forward, make things happen. And every once in a while, it's good just to slow down and say, how did you get here? Right. So 
for me, this is, this is an exciting moment to have this opportunity and be in this great, beautiful new building so that we can talk about these things because every once in a while it is important to go back and recognize people. So if you go way back to the beginning in 1978, when I was 13 years old, and yes, you can do the math. Now you know how old I am. 65. No, okay. 55. I'll help you with that. You have to have depreciation, low amortization in there. I'm 38. Got it, got it. But uh, no, years ago when we started this, my, my dad, my dad, my mom helped our older brother, David, uh, start a business to work on automobiles. And they wanted to repair cars and car engines. And my brother was very mechanical, Dave. And uh, I was the youngest of the four, my sister, my brother, my other brother, Barry, who isn't here today, but has been so instrumental in moving things and getting this building ready. And he, he just has a tremendous capability to move the ball fast. He is uh, very aggressive, very capable, and it's just done wonderful in this move and all the equipment. People are just shocked at right. what's been accomplished in the time frame. Yeah. So way back when, when I was 13, he was 15. My brother was a little older. They bought a building that was 4,500 square foot down in Northside to work on automobiles. And the building was originally Weichold Arms, which is kind of funny. And there'll be a little loop in this story. Weichold Arms did gun drilling or deep hole drilling as a uh, process. And my brother didn't really know much about deep hole drilling at the time. He was there to work on cars. But I remember my dad, when they bought the building, there was a little three by five metal box, brown actually, mm -hmm. had cards in it. And the cards were the customers. And this goes way back before computers and databases yeah. and all the yeah. things we have today. So that little three by five index card was a list of customers. And I remember my dad looking at Bill Weichold, who was the owner at the time, selling it. And he said, we'll get the building if you'll throw in that one drilling machine. It was an old, uh, it was a Barnes two-spindle gun drill. He said, we'll buy the building if you'll throw that in the index card so the customer's in. And Bill said, great. And literally, I remember it like it was yesterday. Bill handed the box to my dad. My dad handed the box to my brother, Dave, and said, here, Dave, if things get slow, you can drill some holes. Yeah. So it was deep hole drilling. And within a year, they had converted it over. And I say they because all I did then was break things, go in, play, mess around, and cause problems, which was a big job at that time. For me. <laughs> so the business started to grow a little bit, and it switched over to total machining after about a year. And in 19, that was 1978. In 1984, our older brother, Dave, was killed in an industrial accident electrically. He was electrocuted. So very sad day. Uh, still is, honestly. And uh, he kind of left us there. And my brother and I were 19 and 21 years old. And my dad said, hey, this, you know, you guys got to run this. So in 19, I was vice president and Barry was president of a 4,500 square foot dynasty. Mm -hmm. And we were all set to machine parts, drill parts, and go to town. Yeah. So we... Went to work every day. Well, at the time, it was kind of difficult. Interest rates were over 20%, if you remember back then. That was Jimmy Carter days. And interest rates on loans were 20%. My mom, who was just a fantastic key, key, key cornerstone for everything that we've accomplished. My mom and dad, I can't speak enough about what they did initially. And the sacrifices they made for us to do what we did. And uh, it, was, it was pretty trying back then. It really mm -hmm. was. So anyway, Barry and I went to work every day. My mom kept the office going, kept the wolves at bay, tried to pay the bills, $3 worth of bills with $1 <laughs> worth of money. And uh, you know the story, small businesses, uphill, uphill every day. So we started kind of just going out, knocking on doors, trying to grow a business. It's the American dream. And in my heart, this is what it's all about. This is what the, the entrepreneur, the business, the startups, this is what it's all about. So we started to have a little bit of success and we grew a little bit. My mom and dad were there. And about a year and a half later, my dad passed away with a heart attack. And uh, so my mom, my poor mother was left there by herself and she has been there since day one, had been there since day one. 
So we grew the business and we started growing and we got a little bit of luck and we got a few jobs and we started doing some things and it was exciting. And then it was uh, 1994. We moved from that building, which we had made a big addition to go from 4,500 square feet to 6,000, mm -hmm. which was the great outdoors at the time. Yeah. It was a huge accomplishment. Yeah, well, and especially in a place like Northside. You know? <laughs> it was awesome. You yeah. know, I, I feel like I grew up there in a way and, and some of the things that were... Um, they were done down there. We used to have Northside Safari. I'm not supposed to say this, but we used to shoot city rats with 357 bird shots inside at night shift. <laughs> we would put food out and roll rats. And, and I would leave them on my sister's garbage can when she would come into work the next day under the desk. As I'm sure she appreciated. So when yeah. I say humble beginnings, I truly do mean <laughs> humble beginnings. And uh, anyway, my mom and my mom was there every day. My dad had passed and uh, we just started working on the business. And I was faxing machining. And in 1994, we moved into a 45,000 square foot building on five acres in Forest Park. And that, that was just an unbelievably large building at the time. We wondered if we'd ever fill it. Well, God is good. And we worked every day and you just keep showing up and doing the best you can. We grew the business as a family, my brother, my sister, my mom, we were all out there. And uh, the business grew and grew and grew. So we added on, added on, bought some property. We ended up with 165,000 square feet on 10 acres. And then everything was going very well until the economy changes a bit and every wave hits a beach. You only get to ride them so long. So we went through some transitions to go from automotive primarily to a variety of, of uh, industries such as oil and gas, aerospace, uh, touch and medical, mostly defense was our biggest opportunity to grow or diversify from there. And as a team, again, you know, your whole family, you just go to work every day. You keep trying the best you can, set the plans. Um, and God's good again. Right. God is good again. So we grew and we went through some very, very, very trying times. And then about eight years ago, when we started this company, I think it was 2012, we literally started Facts and Firearms. It was birthed from the need to find work. We didn't have anything for anybody to do. We didn't have any hopes of making money at what was out there. We, what we had done for so long at that point was about 34 years. I think at the time, 34 years of work was ready to go up and smoke because the world had changed and we hadn't changed quick enough or enough. So when it did change, we started making adjustments and uh, it worked out fairly well, but we tried to go with a product and we wanted to do something that would be, I don't want to say noble, but important, right? Sure. And we looked at all kinds of different things to just apply our machining capabilities we had over those 34 years. Thought, how do we keep doing what we do? We, we don't do these other service type jobs. We're just, we cut metal. Right. It's what we've done forever. And how do we stay in our industry? So... The firearms company, we were going to just start out with the building ARs like everyone else and, and doing what a lot of folks had done. And I went out to SHOT Show for the first time in Las Vegas at this point. It was a year or so prior. And um, I went out there thinking, boy, we'll make the best AR and we'll beat everybody at their own game because we've been machining so long. And when I went to SHOT Show, I was so humbled when I saw how many people and how much, how many quality products we're out there in Las Vegas. I left with my tail between my legs. I called my brother that first night and I said, Barry, uh, this business is, is so far along. I don't know how we'll ever catch up with these folks. They do. There's some really good people in this industry. Anyway, so we kind of shelved it. I came back to Cincinnati. We worked again, go to work, go to work. And about six months later, I was watching Discovery Channel. And Discovery Channel is one of the top 10 battle rifles of all time. And they were competing. The last one and two was between the M16 and the AK-47, which both are good weapons, obviously. But the AK-47 became the number one. 
And at that time, that really upset me because when we sit in a defense meeting now with our customers, there's no way that we want to make the second best product for a warfighter or even for this country, for that matter. So I listened and had a basic enough knowledge of the two firearm platforms to say they both have pluses. Mm -hmm. They both have minuses. So I sat down on my kitchen table. My boys were there. And on three pieces of paper that, that night, I drew up the ARAC-21. And the ARAC-21 was meant to be a segue to the industry that would show creativity and innovation that would build a product that, one, again, at the heart, heart, heart of everything we do that the consumer would enjoy and appreciate and would be a good value and they would be glad they bought. So instead of just going down the AR-15 platform train, we went to the ARAC-21 train. And it came out very, very successful. The gun has its features that are still adored and, and some people really enjoy. It's not for everyone, but it's a solid design platform. And uh, that was the launch. So when we felt that we had a vehicle that we could enter into such a competitive industry and have some type of a technical advantage, that's what birthed facts and firearms. But one of the things that we have always done as a company, both in our internal products at machining and in firearms, is we tend to be very vertically integrated. Mm -hmm. We like to control a lot of what we do. And with all the machining background, well, if you remember, that's why we started the company, was to create hours of machining to create employment to sustain our business. So when we went to build the ARAC-21, one of the things we naturally wanted to do was make our own barrels. And uh, because we had done deep hole drilling for the past 30, 34 years, I get the math right, past 34 years, and we can drill holes, by the way, up to two foot by 33 feet through five foot diameter bars, counter-rotating a 108 foot long machine. There you go, that's the machining <laughs> plug. So we've graduated from the gun drilling side all the way up into some very large uh, drilling capabilities. But we thought, hey, we ought to make our own barrels if we're gonna make our own guns. Now, right. I'll come back to that loop I told you about earlier. Why cold arms when my dad and my brother and my mom bought that building in 1978 one of the biggest products they made was they drilled muzzle loader barrels. Mm -hmm. So as we're out searching the world for products to make, 34 years later, we decided to get into the gun barrel business again. And it's like, wow, why didn't we do this sooner, right? right, right. We had the model in 1978. <laughs> so we went back to drilling barrels and uh, we started making our own barrels for the ARAC-21. And we found that there were issues with them. And initially, and we'd never sold these, but all internally as we were trying to make our own barrels, we found out what the learning curve really is to make a good barrel. And I won't bore all that stuff in this segment. This isn't what it's about. But I will tell you that all the machining arrogance and capability or whatever you might call it that we had over all those years of experience did not yield a good product. It took a lot more. So we reached out. We got some help. We, uh, we got people in the industry that were experts and professionals. And we got a very good education. And we combined the education of what the industry had with what we had developed over our decades of experience. And that's how we birthed the barrel business of facts and firearms, which really sprung from the ARAC-21. So now I believe that facts and firearms makes a very, very high quality barrel. I think we have technical capability. We've incorporated enough outside input to get that legacy of that particular product. And I think that that outside input was a missing piece that we had initially. Now, I say clearly, we never shipped any barrels out to customers until we had developed our sense of confidence that they were really high quality, high value product. So nothing ever got out to consumers, but I will tell you as we made barrels and tested internally, there was some very frustrating Saturdays and Sundays. Sure, yeah. Uh, there, there was some, some larger groups and we thought barrel profiles had impact on our accuracy and our grouping. We didn't have it all figured out at that point. So the vertical integration desire that the company has had since the beginning 
pushed us into the ARAC, pushed us into the barrel business. And then our, our drive and pedigree of quality. We make parts for various applications without going in details that the quality is super critical. Super critical. Yeah. I'll say this. We have parts on Mars. We have parts yeah. on the Mars side. So we have them on the ocean floor of the Mars. And, and most probably very, very importantly, we support the warfighter with some of our product. So you can imagine the criticality that we have and the certifications that we have and the quality that's embedded in our company. And when you add the pedigree of the quality that we've had over the decades of experience, and then you match it up to the product where you're going to a consumer now, mm-hmm. there was a couple of things that I personally, I can't speak for anybody else. When we started the company in 78, it was very small, one guy on a wooden bench, John Illum, who has passed now, uh, God bless him. But John was just a heart and soul and a character and a half. And I, we could do a whole podcast mm-hmm. on it. It would be probably R-rated because of language, but we could do a whole <laughs> podcast on it. So John was just a key part of starting the company, of starting the product and helping us get off the ground. And um, quality has always been a thing. So personally, when it started, you know, when you set business plans and goals, we've never been very academically trained. We've always been more the entrepreneurial side. But I will tell you this, everybody has ideas, whether you put them down a formal business plan or whether you just have them in your heart and that's how you're going to act. But the two things that I really prayed for uh, when we started the company, one, that our products would be safe for the people that use them. You're making a very, very volatile piece of equipment. You want it to be very safe for the people that use it. And the second thing is that our products would be a means of fellowship. And what I mean by that is I'm not much of a golfer. And if I've ever golfed with anybody, ask them. I am not a golfer. <laughs> but what I do enjoy is I enjoy being with people and I enjoy sharing times and creating right. memories. And I think firearms are a tremendous mechanism to do that. Just tremendous. So when we build firearms, yes, they have all the capability of protection, home defense, hog hunting, hunting, whatever it might be. They have all those capabilities, no question. But what I really wanted was I wanted those products that people would go share time with. Right. You know, grandpas and kids and families. You know the whole story. So when I think about guns, I think more fellowship than anything. And we looked at this and we said, okay, if we're going to meet those objectives where quality is number one and we're going to make this a fellowship item, what we really need to do is we need to strive to target with the company products a quality value proposition that is sustainable long-term as a business. It's not the most expensive. It's not the cheapest. It's maybe not the best in some cases, maybe is. But what it is, it's really high value proposition. It's extreme quality at a reasonable price. And so we targeted that when we started the company years ago. We went for outside help. We vertically integrate most of our operations. And we started growing within the company over at Adwood in Forest Park at our building. Mm-hmm. And then after a few years of super, super hard work by a lot of good people, a lot of talented people that, uh, you know, building that team has resulted in moving into a new facility, which you've been documenting through the process. Very good. Right. And I appreciate everything you guys do. Being able to get our message out is so important because we don't want to be known as just a cookie cut company. Right. We aren't. Mm-hmm. We really are not. I think one of the big things about our company is we value people. Uh, we value people. We try very hard to value people. They're the most important thing in the world. Your equipment can sit there all day. And you can run it and wreck it. But at the end of the day, it is people. They design, they inspect, they manufacture, they package, and they promote. So hopefully we're developing a key group of people with this great company. We have very, very exciting hopes. And uh, we have very limitless hopes for the future. There will be new products coming. Mm-hmm. There will be innovation to continue being part of our part of our core makeup and being. And this new facility now with Room to Grow, as a matter of fact, expanding it as we speak. But bringing this facility up to speed as they've done such a good job in moving into. I couldn't tell you how proud I am of everybody who's participated and worked and the teamwork that you see every day when we were moving equipment and, and moving in this facility. And now I think the prize and the reward is that that team has a new home. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be completely adequate for our goals of future. 
I see no shortage of opportunity. Right. I am as optimistic and aggressive about this company, its product development, its reputation, and its value proposition as I ever have been. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I, I think that's such a, you know, this is an important story to tell because I think that there are, I mean, you mentioned going to SHOT Show, there are, are a lot of companies and there were a lot of companies when you first went out that were very, uh, you know, very solid, great pedigrees, that sort of thing, Absolutely. have great products. But there's also in this industry, a lot of fly-by-night stuff too, a lot of flash in the pan, a lot of, of you know, people who who maybe had a, had a great idea, brought something to market, it was hot for a second, couldn't keep up and bowed out, you know. Uh, and, and so to be able to say like, listen, this isn't just a, uh, this isn't our first go around with the business. This isn't our first go around with being in manufacturing. You know, this is truly, you know, birthed out of uh, a seemingly generation long, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, ideas for quality and, and innovation when it comes to, you know, machining and, and manufacturing, let alone, you know, making uh, making great products. No, I appreciate you saying that. You know, I, I always tend to focus on our products. I don't talk a lot about other companies or other products. I will tell you that the old phrase, if I'd have known how hard it was going to be, I wouldn't have done it, mm -hmm. probably refers to my brother and I on this task. Yeah. This was a little harder than we thought it would be. <laughs> Took a little longer, cost a little more. I don't think we nailed anything down out of the gate. But then again, sometimes uh, ignorance is bliss. And I think when your heart's in the right spot and you're committed to do something, you just continue till you're finished. Yeah. And the one thing that we have here is, we, we have a pedigree of entrepreneurialism, I think, some good, some not so good. But the one thing I can tell you about my family, and I'll go back to my mom, it's bred into us. We're not quitters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And my dad, I can't forget that. I'm For sure. Kidding. Well, you know, uh, Barry escaped the camera this time, but we'll uh, we'll make sure we, we get him back on Tuesday. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for letting me be part of this uh, dream of yours. Uh, Dustin, I, I got to tell you, it, it, it's a pleasure to have you as part of our team. Oh, I think you. you've done a great job with this podcast. I'm anxious to see how we can continue to get our message out. And you're a perfect example of what I mean by it's all about for sure. Thank you so much. If you're looking to up your game for gun cleaning and maintenance, you have to check out the Tipton Ultra Gun Vice. Uh, this thing is amazing. It's incredibly modular, uh, pretty lightweight, but really, really heavy duty all the way down to the steel tube frame. All these different modular pieces and parts, even the accessory trays are solvent resistant and uh, they have excellent gripping pads to make sure that you don't scrape up the gun that you're working on. Even work on things like so if you want something that's going to be the one-stop vice for all of your gun cleaning and maintenance needs, you definitely need to check them out. Uh, you could head to TiptonClean.com to check out all the specs, all the reviews, see some more photos uh, of this vice in action. We're actually going to be using this particular one for some research and development projects uh, for some new products from Faxon coming up soon, and we're excited to share both those products and the footage of the testing with with you. Uh, so again, visit tiptonclean.com and check out the Ultra Gun Vice. Well, as promised, we are getting back to some Q&A segments here on the show. And uh, one of the things we've actually gotten requests for is to do just a, a video podcast version of some of our FAQs that are on the website uh, uh, that uh, sometimes we get asked uh, because you know, someone will buy a barrel or uh, a firearm from us through uh, somewhere like a Brownells or an Optics Planet, and they don't necessarily go to our website to look for the FAQs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, so 
One of the ones that we get quite often, uh, which is on our FAQ page, is how do you test uh, your barrels? And there's there's several different processes that it goes through, obviously, uh, for, for testing. But uh, if you were to just take the thousand foot view, Jay, what, what is the kind of the, the testing procedure and quality procedure for uh, barrels? Okay, so uh, yeah, the, the quality procedure. Um, so our barrels are machined in, in you know, on a number of different steps or, or ops as we call them. And um, at every op, there are individual quality checks. You know, every time any machining operation is done on, on any part, barrels included, uh, you know, there's a, a first article part that's made, which is the, the first piece that's made, goes to QC and, and they check for, you know, various things that were supposed to be accomplished during that machining process. Um, you know, and they check uh, at various points during uh, production and the last piece and just make sure that, you know, the first piece produced is the same as the 10th, is the same as the 100th, is, you know, the same as the last. Uh, so, you know, at, at every stage of production, um, the parts are reviewed multiple times, uh, you know, so so I think that's that's sort of important to know. But um, in terms of the, the big uh, QC checks on barrels, um, we air gauge the bores of every barrel uh, after rifling. So that determines um, bore diameter and uh, concentricity. Um, we hold concentricity to a two-tenths uh, tolerance. Um, that's two-tenths of a thousandth of an inch, not mm -hmm. two-tenths two of, of an inch. inch. Uh, <laughs> right, two-tenths two two of, of a thousandth Point of an zero inch. 0.0002, right? Right. right. Um, you know, so that's a pretty important check, and um, you know, it's it's um, it's pretty critical for the accuracy of a barrel that that the the bore be held that close. Right. So you know, we ch we check all that with air gauging. Um, let's see, all of our barrels run through a magnetic particle inspection after profiling. Um, so that is checking for um, seams or cracks or defects in the material. Um, it's a pretty interesting process. Um, yeah. You know, maybe maybe we can film some at some point. Yeah, uh, that'll be something I'd love to do because we actually do that here. Yeah, we do that here. Yeah. Um, we have we have a full setup here, and um, the mag particle inspectors have to go through some ridiculous number of hours of training. Um, yeah. They sit in a, a room, uh, a dark room all day with uh, black light on, um, pouring uh, this glow-in-the-dark uh, slurry on barrels. Um, yeah. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. So uh, we do that for every barrel. Then um, <clears throat> at the end during barrel assembly, um, we uh, torque the extension on and check headspace on every barrel with... Um, precision ground gauges, uh, you know, for each each caliber. Mm -hmm. um, so if you've ever seen on the barrel extension, we have um, two paint marks. Uh, those are 
to show that the barrel uh, extension was torqued on to the proper torque, and then the, the headspace was checked on that barrel. And each operator at that position has different color pens, um, paint pens. And so, you know, you, sometimes you'll see like yellow and green or, you know, pink and white or, you know, whatever the colors are. Uh, that's so that we can trace back uh, to the actual to operator. The actual operator. Gotcha. So. Gotcha. Yeah, the mag particle thing I think is interesting because, uh, and I, I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but it's not necessarily super common that a manufacturer has their own mag particle inspection in their they facility. Usually, they usually shop it out. You know, they're, mm -hmm. they usually send out parts for mag particle inspection if they're, if they're inspecting at all. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a, that's a, a you know, a really important thing, especially for, uh, you know, high, uh, I'm not a, <clears throat> I'm not a scientist. Uh, I'm not a product director like Jay, nor an engineer, but for the, uh, just the, the combustion of different calibers yeah. of things, you know, like, especially when you get into some of these higher caliber, higher gauge items, you know, the, the mag particle is, is such an important part, you know, whereas, you know, maybe if you're doing a, something extremely, I don't know, what would be like a low charge, well, you know, barrel? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, anything, any pressure containing vessel, I mean, a, a barrel is a tube that, you know, contains pressure. Any mm -hmm. pressure containing vessel, you know, you're super sensitive that, you know, your material is perfect, you know, right. and, and our material all carries a lot of um, uh, specs with it, specifications that, you um, you know, the steel mills have guaranteed that they've met, um, you know, but you you do want to make sure every single piece is perfect. They, there are no, you know, material defects hiding in it, um, you know, or nothing that was introduced, you know, after material was produced. So, you know, a crack or whatever, um, you know, so that's why we do it. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's mag particle inspection on, you know, a tube that does not contain pressure is probably not all that necessary, right. you know, but, uh, you know, on a barrel it is. Yeah. And uh, again, since we've talked about this in uh, previous Q&A, Barrels 101, Barrels 102 here on the show, um, you know, we, we do, since it comes in as just bar stock uh, here, you know, we're not just profiling somebody else's barrel. We're not just, you know, right. having someone else do the rifling or anything like that. You know, we're we're kind of cutting out some of the ways that defects could even be introduced, yeah. uh, but also at the same time, you know, doing our due diligence and doing things like you know mag particle inspection uh, here, and we will uh, do our best to see if we could get some footage of mag particle. Yeah, it's sort of cool when they when they put the you know UV light on and and they you know get the little the slushy on the on the barrel <laughs> yeah so lots of fun well uh, don't forget that you can find uh, more FAQs at factsandfirearms.com uh, all you got to do is click on the support page and you'll see an FAQ section right there and if you have any questions for uh, the show or you would like to get something answered on air please feel free to email us at podcast at factsandfirearms.com. Yeah, send them in. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, we'll answer, answer some questions. And maybe we'll bring in some more people. Yeah. We got the room to do it now. Yeah, right. Yeah, we'll bring in an engineer. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Bring, bring in a, a locomotive engineer. Right. Why not? Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Semi-horn. Semi-horn. <laughs> I think their product headline says it best, ring steel, not your ears. 
If you haven't checked out uh, episode 27 of the Facts and Blogging podcast, we actually spoke uh, to Jared from Caldwell Shooting about some of their uh, extensive line of hearing protection and accessories. One of the things that they sent out to us was a set of their Emac Shadows. And the nice thing about the Emac Shadows is not only are they excellent ear protection for the range or for training, or even when you're just mowing your lawn or working with power tools, uh, but they also are a Bluetooth headset. So if you're into earbuds and power beats and AirPods and all that kind of thing, you can still get great stereo sound, dual microphones and device control all right here from the shadows and again when you use those foam tips uh, you also get a 25 db noise reduction rating as well so if you're out on the range all day you're working on a project in the garage you want to listen to music you still need to take calls that sort of thing no need to be taken on and off the giant muffs you could just have a pair of shadows in and you can find these over at caldwellshooting.com and don't forget to check out our whole episode about hearing protection with caldwell at faxandfirearms.com blog for those of you who have been watching the podcast for a while, you may know that uh, we had Ryan Donahue from Crimson Trace on for one of our episodes to talk all things optics and red dots and some of the exciting things that CT has coming up. But I just wanted to share one of my personal favorite products of theirs, and that is their Railmaster Pro, the CMR204. So not only is it a tactical light, it's also a laser, and it has all of the industry proven technology that Crimson Trace has been known for for so many years. But they're not just limited to things like lights and lasers. They've made a big splash in the electro optics game, whether it's looking at something like a traditional rifle scope or maybe even their new battle optic, which you may or may not have seen in some TV shows and movies recently. They have a lot to offer. So obviously you're going to be seeing some more stuff uh, of Crimson Trace popping up with us here at Facts and Firearms. You may have even seen it uh, staged on our limited edition Mustang rifle that came out in the spring of 2020. Again, lots of cool stuff from them, just like the CMR204 or anything in their Railmaster series. We would encourage you to check them out at crimsontrace.com. Well, welcome back to another installment of Jay's World of Eats, our first one in the new Westchester mm -hmm. facility. Yeah, fancy new setup. Yeah, all swagoo. New format. New format. Mod. More than one camera. Yeah. Yes. We're not uh, shoulder to shoulder. We are obeying social distancing a lot better here. Dustin got me a little mic so he doesn't have to pull my mic into range every single episode. <laughs> That's right. It was either that or get you some headphones, which mm. you already spoke negatively of. Yeah, really weirds me out when I can hear the echo of my voice while I'm talking. You and Pat both. I, I asked Pat, I was, do you want do you want headphones? And he's like, nah. I can't do it. I think actually it went like this. Nah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> full face nah. wipe. Full nah. face wipe. <laughs> nah. Uh, well, before we get on with today's snacks, which there is a uh, a plethora oh, yeah. of today. Uh, this week, Jay's World of Eats is brought to you by our friends at Crimson Trace. We are going to be giving away one of these CMR204s, uh, the Railmaster Pro uh, light and laser. You can enter to win this at faxandfirearms.com slash blog. Click on episode 33 for all the ways to enter. And uh, we just announced on uh, Monday uh, the hog harvester giveaway. 
Yeah. Which is big time. Uh, over $4,000 worth of a prize pack. Uh, custom 300 blackout rifle. Stuff from Hornady, Crimson Trace, Caldwell, Wheeler. Uh, I mean, the whole gamut. So. Did you get the taxidermy hoghead in there with it? Yes, we do have some pictures with the taxidermy the hog head. Is that head. part of the giveaway, though? You do not get the <sighs> hog head. Somebody did ask about that, and I said, we can maybe send you a lock of fur. Uh, a, lock, uh, a lock of fur. <laughs> one yeah, of our, yeah, uh, what's Pickle's official title here? Uh, Pickle is the uh, lathe cell lead. I don't, okay. know, I don't know if that's his official title. But, but uh, that's what he does. Right, he's in charge of all the turning operations uh, yeah. in the shop. So Pickle, uh, as we affectionately call him, his real name's Eric, has all kinds of taxidermed items. Uh, he <laughs> left a, uh, a black squirrel on Jay's desk the I other day. I thought it was a rat eating my snacks. <laughs> I was really alarmed about it. And I showed him the hog harvester rifle, and we got it back from one-off coating, and uh, he goes, you know, I got a hog head you could use if you want. I was like, yeah, buddy, bring I it on it. in. So yeah, sure. anyway, so make sure you check that out. Uh, if you go to factsandfirearms.com, you could enter to uh, win that giveaway. It's going to be running for a couple of weeks, so get all the entries in that you can. Jay... Dustin. Before we begin, just want to show this. You My ask. demands have been met, Dustin. A this custom is cheese board. incredible. Yes, custom cheese custom board. Custom cheese board. Yeah. This is, uh, this is the big leagues. This is, yeah, you're not messing around. <laughs> no, it's the real stuff, man. <laughs> is, not Although most around, of the Dustin. stuff we brought in, I don't know if it'll actually fit on that today. It's so. not quite cheese board material, maybe. Right. But that's the best Amazon I'll can make do. a cheese board. Ooh. Ooh. If you want to board. put up a picture of my last cheese board, I'll text it to you after Please the do. show. Please do. It's pretty impressive cheese Jay board. Jay has a thing about cheese. We've argued about refrigerated cheese versus room temperature cheese, and Jay's all about the warm, filmy cheese. I am. Yeah. I like making cheese boards. Yeah, like if you go to a wedding reception and everybody else is dancing, he's circling back to the cheese table because it's warmed up Waiting, to the proper, yeah. proper temperature. Waiting for it to come up to temp. You know, I got a space heater on my desk, and this morning I put it facing my cheese so that it would heat up quicker so I could eat my cheese breakfast the, earlier. <laughs> my cheese breakfast. Get all stopped up <laughs> like a hibernating bear. All right. Well, Jay, enough diddly-daddling. Uh, oh, we were having a nice conversation, Yeah, we were, Dustin. but there's diddly-daddling. All right, what do, what do we got today? Well, Dustin, well, <laughs> so this is one of my... Main food items. Mm -hmm. You might recognize the jar as Nutella. Yes. It's got a new security feature, Dustin. I don't know if we can see this on the cameras. You, you can. Uh, marked with your name so that if you spot someone dipping things into a jar of Nutella across the shop, mm -hmm. you can be sure it is not your jar of Nutella. Yes. I assume everyone... Carries a jar of Nutella and dips things in it all day. Right, much right. like most of us carry ranch in our back pockets yeah. here in the Midwest. Yeah, yeah right. Mm -hmm. Security feature, Dustin. Mm -hmm. uh, so I thought I'd bring on my jar of Nutella, some Kodiak Cakes Bear Bites. They are protein animal crackers. Like a gram or like a regular animal cracker? Uh, can't remember exactly. Put the mallow on the yeah, gram. Yeah, you know. Okay. So, you know, yeah. 
All this Just put this on the couch here. Yeah, it'll be the next guest. <laughs> it'll be the next guest. <laughs> I've already sampled these dozen, so uh, you know. Put that on the cheese board. I will put this on the cheese board. Okay. Yeah, it looks hearty. Yeah, yeah, very hearty. Mm-hmm. Can dip directly into the Nutella if your name is, in fact, Jay Wilson. I will stand idly by. Or if I guess your name's Dustin. Permission to dip. Yeah, yeah. Permission to dip. Yeah, all about it. I feel I like the United States was uh, slow on Nutella. Wasn't Nutella why. and like yeah. chocolate hazelnut stuff in Great Britain for like generations? Yeah, forever. Yeah, forever. You know, and whenever I go to like South America, Central America, there's always Nutella. You know, they they serve it at breakfast, put on waffles. Yeah. You know, it's it seems like waffles. It's, it seems like it's it's been around, you know, everywhere but the United States forever. Yeah, this is a very weird thing. But you mentioned traveling and weird breakfast items. Several years ago, before I had this job, and I was uh, working predominantly as a musician, and I had gotten asked to sit in with a band. Actually, a band from Cincinnati called the Vandells. They're a rock and roll review yeah. show. And uh, they had some shows in Canada. Their keyboard player couldn't make it. And I had only been to Canada to, like, see the other side of the falls and then come back, you know. So I drive to Canada. We do this, I don't know, residency thing for a few days, playing a couple shows a day. And at the hotel, they serve breakfast. You know what they serve at breakfast at the buffet in Canada? What's that? Beans. 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 Like kind of beans. I don't know, kind of like some sort of savory, almost like a baked bean. Like baked beans? Yeah, like a like a hmm. baked bean. And apparently that's a French yeah. or British thing? Yeah, British. Uh, they do it with the, the like, uh, what do they call it? A full British breakfast. It's yeah. like beans and tomato and a mushroom yeah. and blood sausage and yeah. bacon and eggs and toast. Yeah, there was like bacon, eggs, all your like normal fare. And then then like I'm walking around and I was like, beans? <laughs> yeah. like, what is this doing here? <laughs> yeah, right. That is quite good, the uh, Kodiak uh, dipping. Yeah, you know, the, the little Kodiak uh, protein animal crackers are pretty good. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, make you feel a little less guilty about Dipping things constantly into the, a jar of, of chocolate. <laughs> do, you, do you sing the song? Animal crackers in I the do. soup. Okay, I do. Just making sure. Uh, only in private, though. Oh, yeah. See, I wouldn't. I would open up the doors to the floor and just shout it to the rooftops. Um, what else do you have, Jay? I, so, you said you had a... Uh, our head of shipping left a snack on my desk for the show today. Okay. So we're going to try this. Shout out to Ryan. Ryan, uh, Ryan Brun. Brun. Thank you very much, head of shipping. Uh, if you've seen the pictures of a man with a great white beard uh, floating around our social channels, that is Ryan. He described this only as Italian dog biscuits with rosemary. Uh, so I'm not going to try to... Uh, Wait a minute. Is that an actual dog biscuit? Uh, it's not actually a dog okay. biscuit. I don't think. Uh, Although I don't speak Italian. I'm going to try to pronounce it. <laughs> uh, actually, I will try to pronounce it. Terralini. Terralini. Uh, with potatoes and rosemary. Okay. Uh, so. Oh. Well, oh. Casualty. Oh. It's all right. <laughs> there we go. 
I can smell the rosemary. Mm, it smells very rosemary. -y. That's good. A little dog biscuity. I'm a little nervous because Brian gave it to you. <laughs> <laughs> but besides that, I think it's quite good. <laughs> we may need to cut because it's drying up my mouth. Yeah, um, mm. definitely is uh, dry. Yeah. Mm. It tastes good, though. Might be good in some Nutella. <laughs> That's mixing the savory and the sweet a little too much. Uh, mm. A little too much for me. A little too uh, much for you. A little too much. All right, fair enough. All right. So thank you, Ryan. Like we mentioned before, if you have a snack you'd like us to review uh, or just take shots at, uh, feel free <laughs> to email podcast at factsfirearms.com and uh, yeah. we'll give you the information on how to get stuff to us. Jay, if you wouldn't mind going to the uh, mm. coffee table there and grabbing mm. these bins. Man, what now, do we have here, Dustin? So there is a uh, a little bakery chain down here in the Natty called Cervati's. Wow. And every Friday, I stop at Cervati's and bring in uh, donuts and tea cookies for uh, the office staff here. And uh, this weekend, I also... <laughs> Dustin's up. trying to make us fat or give us diabetes. Yeah, well, Wilford Brimley isn't here anymore. I, mean, I figure maybe take the other side. Uh, succeeding on me, Dustin. <laughs> the, the, uh, they have this thing called an opera cream cake, uh, and it's very good. They also make like small versions of it, but we got a, we got a full cake, and I divvied out some portions for us. I just dive right in. Yeah, conveniently in uh, La Rosa's Pizzeria reusable containers. <laughs> this thing weighs like a pound and a half at least for yeah. this slice. Uh, I think, I could be wrong, but I, I think they might actually put like ricotta cheese in this too. Oh man. Yeah. Tastes it is cheesy filling first. Yeah, but it's like super, super rich. Oh yeah. Like you're going to need some milk if you eat too man. much. Man. That's incredible. Oh yeah. Very smooth, very Mom's creamy, food. and uh, it's, it's just been sitting here in the mini fridge in the office, so it's not like I, uh, you know, went to great lengths to preserve it, <laughs> preserve it, but it tastes very good. Generally, I prefer pies over cakes, Dustin, but I think this uh, filling, I'm probably going to eat all the filling out and leave the cake <laughs> for leave my poor cake. wife. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Sir Bodies, if you're in the uh, greater Cincy area or even in the tri-state, you got to check them oh, out. Yeah. They do all kinds of crazy stuff. Big pretzels. And mm -hmm. uh, if you go to Jungle Gym, some of their stuff is at Jungle Gyms, which we've waxed poetic about before. Uh, yeah. Very good. That's great, Dustin. Yeah, maybe smear some Nutella on that. Well, yeah, right. Mm. I mean, I think it's worthwhile. Yeah. It's worth a try. Worth a try. So, anyway, to recap. <laughs> personalized. Custom, uh, personalized <laughs> Nutella. Yeah. Kodiak uh, Animal Crackers. Do you say Animal Crackers are a cracker or a cookie? That's tricky. That's a heated debate. It's like, is yeah. a hot dog a sandwich? Mm. I think it is. You think a hot dog is a sandwich? I think it is a sandwich. I think hmm. there is room for both butter side uppers and butter side downers here in this world. <laughs> hot dog sandwichers and <laughs> hot dog non-sandwichers. 
Yeah, so we have that. Uh, thank you to Ryan uh, for bringing in those delicious Italian uh, uh, dog biscuits. <laughs> Italian dog biscuits. Thank you very little. <laughs> those are fantastic. Uh, don't forget that uh, this week we are giving away Crimson Trace CMR 204. Uh, you could enter to win at factsandfirearms.com slash blog. Click on episode 33. You'll find all the ways to enter. And while you're there, also enter in the Hog Harvester uh, giveaway contest. Again, over a $4,000 value on that prize pack with uh, great sponsors pitching in for this as well. And uh, yeah, if you want to uh, give us some, uh, you know, give us some snacks or questions or review snack some items. questions. Ooh, questions about questions snacks. Questions about snacks. It's getting into snack inception. Here. <laughs> uh, please feel free uh, to email our podcast at factsandfirearms.com. We'll be back with another installment of Jay's World of Beats next week. You know, it's no secret that the things that you keep in your gun safe are important. They're valuable. They're things that you want, you need, you need to hold on to, whether it's just your firearms and supplies, or I know a lot of people like to use their gun safes to hold things like tax returns and other important documents, family photos. All of those things are incredibly important. And to help keep better track of it and better maintenance on those items, Lockdown has a series of devices and utilities and tools to help keep those things things that you treasure safe. One of my personal favorites that we actually use here in the office quite a bit uh, around our storage for cameras and lighting and things like that is just one of their dehumidifiers. Now they have lots of other stuff. You may have already heard of the golden rod. You've heard a lot of stuff about the lockdown puck, uh, which is a smart device to help keep your gun drawer, your safe, your tools, even your wine cellar safe. Uh, and checking up on the humidity and the atmosphere in those places as well. We did a great episode with Lockdown several weeks back that you could check out at factsandfirearms.com slash blog, where we go through pretty much their entire product line and everything from the Lockdown Puck to dehumidifiers to even things like, you know, storage, rack shelving, things of that variety, keeping your safe, keeping your gun room clean, organized, and protected and you can even get something like this one of their room or gun safe dehumidifiers if you're looking to organize that space in your home again whether it's for your gun safe or just anything that you hold valuable we'd recommend you go to lockdown.com thank you for joining us we hope you enjoyed episode 33 don't forget if you haven't subscribed on your favorite podcasting app we would love for you to do that. It's one of the best ways that you could spread the word about the show. Uh, so we're on the Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and a whole lot more. Uh, you could check the link in the show notes uh, to find all of the places we are syndicated. And we would love to hear from you. If you have questions for the show, topic ideas, guest suggestions, we want to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at factsandfirearms.com. Don't forget you could enter to win the CMR 204 from Crimson Trace by going to factsandfirearms.com slash blog and clicking on episode 33. And be sure to get in on the Hog Harvester giveaway. Again, this is over $4,000 worth of prize pack uh, prizes? Prizing? <laughs> over $4,000 worth of a prize pack. You'll definitely want to check that out. Just go to factsandfirearms.com and you uh, will see a pop-up for the hog hunt giveaway. So make sure you enter for that as much as you can. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week. Hi and welcome, Hi and welcome. to the Facts and Blog and Podcast.